What up? You're listening to the Lifestyle Practice Podcast. We gon' make it all the way. We don't care what they all will say. Don't listen to the hate, no. Listen to my fate, yo. Destined to be great, yo. Hello, everybody. Good to have you with us on our weekly cast. I am Steve Vandegraaff, and I'm here this morning with host Dr. Derek Williams, the Lufkin, Texas legend. Derek, it's good to have you, but rather than ask you what you did this week, like I usually do, I'm going to throw you a curveball, and I'm going to ask you, we're just going to jump right into this for the sake of conversation. Looking back over your last three and a half years, what is one mistake you made when you first took over as a practice owner? Oh, uh, good question, Steve. Thanks for having me on the show today. Welcome back. Okay, what what's one mistake you, that you made when you first took practice as an owner? I've thought about this a lot and thought, you know, because you always hear people talk about, you know, if I could go back, I would do this differently or, or, or stuff like that. And overall, I really don't have any regrets, but there are some things like if I could pick one thing, I think that it, it would have to do with rushing into clinical procedures that I probably should have eased into more. You know, on this podcast, we talk so much about management and, and business and everything, and we, we really don't get into clinical much. I'm, I'm sure we, we could, but that's definitely not the not our focus. So, you know, I, I bought my practice straight out of dental school, same as you. So I knew that I would have challenges, but I really wasn't sure how things would go. I had never been out on my own. And I know I shared this experience in my uh, my intro podcast episode, so listeners can go back and listen to it if they want to. But to summarize, I attempted endo on number 19, and I ended up perforating through the distal floor of the tooth and ended up breaking the file in the bone. <laughs> it, was, it was horrible. It was a horrible situation. Thankfully, I uh, haven't done that since then, <laughs> which I would think probably for most dentists, I don't know. I don't. I don't know of any other dentists that have, have could say that they've perforated and broken a file at the same time. I don't know that I've ever seen that on X-ray other than my own. Anyway, you're a unique talent. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. So anyway, that was. I mean, that was a horrible situation. And like I said, I don't have regrets. And I, I honestly don't regret that because it really made me step back and evaluate the way that I approach things clinically. We all make mistakes. The goal in life is not to never make any mistakes. The goal is to try and learn from others' mistakes to prevent our own and to also learn from our own mistakes when we make them. So honestly, I I think if I could go back and tell myself, give myself some advice in the beginning, I would say, just do what you're confident that you can do well first. And as you start to complete those treatments, then you can take it, take it one step further, you know? So that was, I, I think I was a week or two in, into, into my career as a dentist at that point. So I think, you know, I, I did a decent amount of endo along with you in dental school. So I, I felt confident. Um, but I think if I could go back, I would tell myself, you know what, start off just doing some incisors and then, and then move on to premolars and then on to molars. It's just a safer, a, a safer path. Nice. That's good practical advice. But to your credit, I remember you received the award for Outstanding Endodontic Student 
right? And good old Dr. Iberola, he confided in when, with me that Dr. Derek Williams is probably better than the the new residents at, at Endo. So people don't get the wrong idea. He wasn't doing reckless. He's actually really, really good. So <laughs> I did come out of dental school thinking I was the bomb at Endo. And I, and I, in this case, definitely humbled me a lot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's all of us. We're all the bomb coming out. But yeah, thanks for being real and sharing that. I wanted to kind of share some lessons that I learned really early on as well today. To introduce what we're talking about, I spoke with a dentist this week who was struggling because he lost a couple team members who recently quit, and it's kind of a difficult situation for him. Now, I know Justin and Derek are perfect in this area, but this dentist struggles kind of reminded me of my first six months when I experienced staff turnover. So I'd like to talk about and share some lessons that I learned and kind of speak to the importance of team culture in our practices. We talk a lot about leadership at TLP, and we recognize that the owner's leadership vision is probably the number one determining factor for success in a dental practice, more than clinical ability, even more than your location, your office facility, the demographics. But despite its importance, lots of dentists out there, we fall short on managing and communicating to our team. So I wanted to start off with a couple introspective questions. So I'm going to ask them and you just think to yourself. And be honest, what is the culture at my office right now? Is it upbeat? Is it a positive place? Or is it a stressful and maybe tough place? Is the office, when you're not with staff, is it kind of quiet? Or are people laughing all the time? Do you have employees that seem negative or tired at work? Here's another one. If What do you think your employees would tell their friends if they were at work and asked about their job? Depending on your answers to the culture in your office may be a good one, or it could be a problem. But something very important to understand, either way, it is 100% on you. That's right. It is your responsibility as the leader to create the vision and the everyday intention and feeling in, in your office. If you're having a problem, the easy thing to do is somebody else. You know, right? It is it's causing the issue. It's that one employee or, you know, it's my patients or something. But guess what? It's your job. And it's on you. If you have an employee that is causing those problems, it's still your fault because it's your job to correct and train that person. And if they can't get it after that, it's still your job to replace that person with someone who can carry on the culture, if that makes sense. What you just said is so key. And I think it's worth saying a few words about I've been thinking about this a lot in in the last few days. I actually was, uh, I was talking to my dad on the phone this week and he shared something really interesting with me. By the way, my dad is really probably my best friend other than my wife, Jenny. And uh, of course, you and Justin. Yeah, thanks a lot there. Good good catch. Anyway, so I, I really value my dad's opinion, really look up to him a lot. And anyway, he's just a really good friend, good listener. My dad told me on the phone this week that he actually listened to a couple episodes of a hard podcast. I was surprised. I've told some friends and family members that we do a podcast and there's several of them that said, oh yeah, I'll have to listen sometime. And I never really expect anyone to and it, it doesn't bother me at all. But my dad this week said he listened and he said he was really impressed. He said something interesting, though. He said, it's really interesting, Derek. He said, I've always known that you're motivated and hardworking. But after listening to the podcast, I realize 
I realized how crucial your mindset is to your success. When you set a goal, you know that you're going to reach it. You completely own your situation and you're determined to accomplish what you set out to do. And man, it, it really kind of took me back. Man, it was it was just super meaningful to me when he said those things. Since then, I've been thinking a lot about this principle of extreme ownership. For any of you that haven't read that book, Extreme Ownership, uh, it's by two Navy SEALs, Jocko Willink and Leif Babin. Absolutely incredible book. It's it's one of my favorites. But and it's all about how you can completely own your situation in life. And when you're able to do that, it will allow you to reach heights that you never thought possible. And that's absolutely true in this situation, what you're you're talking about with managing your, your teams and your staff and your office culture. I wrote an article about this in uh, Deltown Magazine last year. And what spurred me to write it was that I started to notice on our surveys on the TLP website that we received from dentists, that the majority of those that filled out this survey, the, the dentists were not satisfied with their team's performance. And I, I want to say that it surprised me. It didn't necessarily surprise me, but it really opened my eyes to how many dentists are letting this happen. And ultimately, it's because they don't have extreme ownership. It comes down to that they're not providing the leadership that their practices need because just like you said, either they haven't trained their employees to step it up and to perform the way that they want them to, or they've got the wrong people in place and they need to get new people in place. Both of which the owners have a hundred percent control of that situation. Yeah. So true. It's funny when, once you recognize this, when you hear people complain about their staff, it's almost a little bit, you kind of cringe a little bit and say, I don't know if you really understand your like, own choices, right? This is your, this is your gig, right? You know? Um, and that's a cool story about your dad. That's, I like your dad a lot, by the way. It was, that's pretty cool. He's a wise guy. But this reminds me, a couple weeks ago, I saw a post on one of the dental Facebook groups and the doctor, he, he just like put it out and he was asking, is there a company I can hire to give, give me vision and lead my team? <laughs> and then a couple of people like chimed in and said, oh, this is a good company. This is a good company. And maybe I should have recommended you, Derek, because you could probably done, done that remotely for him. But it just made me laugh because really leadership is the one thing that we really can't delegate. So kind of made me smile. But yeah, I actually remember that post. Because I remember I actually commented on it and I said something like, it sounds like you want the benefits of being an owner, but you don't want any of the responsibility that comes with being an owner. Yeah, no, you, you shouldn't have recommended me. I think you and Justin would both agree with me, but ultimately we don't necessarily want to work with the dentists that are not willing to take ownership of their teams and their practices we're not here to come into your practice and to take charge and to do those things. We're here to help help you to make the decisions and, and to step up to the plate and to help you know how to swing and how to adjust and how to keep coming at it over and over again. We're not going to do it for you. I can also sympathize with these people because it's not, it's really not easy. And for almost all of us, it's not natural easy or natural either. So 
but it's something that can be learned. I mean, it takes intention and maybe coaching, but it can be learned. So kind of going back to the I was speaking about earlier, who had um, any one of our listeners experienced this as comfortable, uncomfortable as it is, I would just invite you to look into the mirror and try to understand why. To get real and share my own experience, when I first bought my practice, I had staff turnover. In fact, almost all of the staff turnover after about six months. And it was just a headache. Time. We were very financially successful uh, gate, but I quickly learned that trying to replace employees was just super stressful and overwhelming, really. I thought, you know, I'm a nice guy. I, I treat them nice. Why wouldn't my team members want to work for me? I immaturely blamed the problem on each of the staff members themselves instead of myself. The staff members only, you know, and, and looking back on those first months, I recognize now that my team was most likely just totally worn out and probably felt unappreciated. And that was an uncomfortable realization I came to, but I understood that it it was the truth. It was not the problem in my life to create the culture that I wanted. I should have let go of the better sooner because nothing kills a good employee so fast as watching the boss tolerate a bad employee. I should have been more aware of the employees who were working really hard, you know, validated and praised them and promoted that positive elements of the staff. I think in general, when an employee leaves, you could probably boil it down to one of three reasons. So first, this is kind of obvious, but you know, they may have received a better offer somewhere else, you know, straightforward. They may not have a problem with you personally or the office, but they're just trying to make compensation and they will all go for the best offer. I think you can understand this. If you find yourself in this situation, I would just consider and remember that a dollar or two more per hour, you know, a small raise to keep a hardworking, positive team member is so much better than losing an employee and trying to find somebody, train them and get them integrated into the right team group feel. Financially, it's just a no-brainer. But then our second reason why employees could leave is they leave because their work environment is stressful or hectic. People want to get up in the morning and look forward to their day. You know, they don't want to dread going to work on the drive each morning because they know they're going to feel overwhelmed or the day may be chaotic. And it is that way every day. So to remedy this, I would just make sure that all employees understand very clearly their duties and responsibilities so that everything is outlined and specific. There shouldn't be any question about what their responsibility is. There shouldn't be a gray area where employee isn't sure if she's going to take care of it, other team members are going to get to it, or if they leave it, if it'll get done. They need to be on the same page and, and aware of the details of their job description, if that makes sense. So we need to be consistently talking about tasks and systems that need to be done with staff and regularly tweak things with team members in it. Keep them on board here. To this end, we need to make sure that they have the tools and training they need to, to do their job efficiently and make sure they have adequate help and are not overwhelmed. This is not a call to go out and hire another employee if not needed and become a, you know an office with a huge payroll and an overstaffing problem. But I'm just saying hearing the feedback from them and giving them solutions if they need help. So 
for example, if your front desk feels too stretched thin with everything he or she has to do, review the most efficient tools that they're using. For example, verifying insurance. You need to provide the most automated and easy way to do that, lower their burden. Maybe you could explore outsourcing these things where appropriate. You, get, you don't necessarily need to hire another person, but you don't want their everyday environment to be chaotic. They need to be able to understand and perform things at a moderate level of intensity. They don't want to be stressed every day. So that's kind of the second group. You know, people can leave because of stress or chaos. And then I think the third is unfortunately probably the most common reasons that dentists have within staff problems. Is the that is, there is something toxic or off in the culture of your office. This could be drama between team members. It could be feelings of lack of appreciation from you as the owner. So not to open a can of worms talking about office drama, but we all know what it is and we recognize how little or petty really distorts and take focus off your goals. Sometimes, you know, as owners, we may feel like kind of a parent when we're working to resolve a problem between employees. Personally, I have found if, if there's a dispute between team members, the best way to handle it is to get the two employees together face-to-face, you know, come sock them robots type thing in there with them and just address the issue head on as soon as possible arises. They both need to get talking to each other and they need to share what went wrong and fix the misunderstanding then and there. Don't let it fester or gossip grow or anything like that. So kind of in order to emphasize this technique, let me share some ways that I've seen dentists deal with things that I wouldn't recommend. Don't talk with one employee in private and then go to the other employee in private and share what the other team member said about them and then kind of go back and forth and try to resolve it. This becomes a he said, she said thing. No one takes accountability and you are not an intermediary, right? So you're the team leader and you need to train your staff to work with all problems together. That means bringing them together and having the tough conversations. The thing to do is to hold a, an entire team meeting and then speak generally to everyone about principles to the whole group. At first glance, you might think this is good because everyone's getting a lesson on the topic, but that's not really the case. Everybody thinks actually that the message is meant for everyone except them. And so that it kind of ensures that nobody will own up and take responsibility. So speak directly with the team members involved together in as specific terms as possible. I have found that to be the most successful and helpful. And I kind of talked about this before, but it's important not to let anybody get away with poor performance. You know, this is something that I still struggle with. Nothing can pull down a great team member as fast as a poor team member being tolerated. It's not fair for the team members that are working hard. It makes them feel like they're being taken advantage of if someone's not pulling their weight. If someone's not doing what they're supposed to, whether it's, you know, tardiness, sloppiness, mistakes with, you know, your notes or systems or whatever, it's your job to stop them, correct them, and give them an attention to improve. It will help that person. And especially it will build kind of a team confidence with the rest of the staff and they're going to buy into the direction of the office that you're taking them. Yeah, I love this principle. When I bought my practice and I had been there a few months, I saw a patient that was very negative and rude to everyone in the office. After they left, everyone in the office just felt down. It was just this kind of real somber 
like sad move and it was it was a horrible feeling and I I just I wasn't willing to put up with it. So the next time that the patient came in, the the behavior continued. And I I let him know in the operatory. I said, "I'm glad that you've chosen to be in our office, but I let him know that if he wanted to stay, he needed to change the way that he talked to everyone in the office." It was a difficult conversation and it caught him off guard. But you know, he he didn't deny anything that I that I said. I kind of reiterated that. I said, you know, I'm happy to be continue to be your dentist and you're welcome to come and come, but we need to see some changes. He was understanding, but I I haven't seen him since. I've done this a few times and I mean it's pretty rare and it seems like it's probably half and half as far as whether they shape up or just end up not coming back. But after this first time, this first experience with a patient, the end of the day, my staff rallied around me and they all told me how grateful they were that I stuck up to that patient for them. They shared with me that they they wished that the previous dentist would have been willing to have a conversation like that and, and to work through that. They felt like I was really a team member at that point. Like I, I really cared about them. And I know that what we're talking about here, this principle is about your employees but it applies in the exact same way that that you're willing to have those conversations and address things because you care about the overall happiness and well-being of your practice. Yeah. Yeah, that is a great story. I love that. And you're completely right. If you want to win kudos with your team real fast, just have a conversation or stand up for them when when they're being treated that way. Related I don't know if it's specific to my practice, but there are sometimes a bunch of creepy guys that just have no filter and they like say totally inappropriate things to like my young female staff sometimes. And I just like call them out on it. And I say, I'm right then and there in front of the staff. And it really, if you stand up for your staff, like they'll really buy in. It wins you kudos. So I like that principle a lot. Maybe that's just my practice. I don't know. But we're attracting all the creepy guys. On the same topic, though, so there's, you know, there's that kind of toxic culture that can, you know, wear on an employee and and make them begin to search elsewhere. Another way this can happen, and this is very, very common, I think, is that people just don't feel appreciated. We all think that we're like really great at building our team members. I mean, everyone thinks they're a people person and they're good at this, but most employees feel underappreciated. This is huge. So I would just recommend remember remember that, you know, the most basic human need is to feel important and needed. So if you're not praising and building your staff regularly each day, it will not take long at all for them to feel neglected in this, in a, in a sense. You may think, you know, well, they're wrong if that's how they feel, because I, I know what I'm doing. I'm, I'm commenting, I'm, I'm depreciation, but really it doesn't matter what you think it really matters what they perceive losing a team member to circumstances like this will also greatly increase the probability that other employees are going to feel down or unexcited about the situation and may still look for other options as well so something to keep in mind there and then this kind of next piece of advice hopefully you won't have to use it but if you do lose or have to fire an employee I would recommend doing so in the most absolute and amicable way possible. 
even if you know it's something serious and you're ticked or furious with them, from the stories I've heard, a lot can be lost from a dirty separation or a disgruntled former employee. On the other hand, if you make it as positive as possible, you know, saying things like, you know, this doesn't change how I feel about you as a person. I, I want to be friends personally with you still. If you're kind of, you know, separating on a good note, if that makes sense, it can really prevent potential headaches and it'll not rock the boat for other team members. You know, the employees I, I shared about earlier, I tried really hard to do this and they ended up still sending their family over to us as patients. And then they actually came back and asked if they could return and work with us. I chose not to do that, but it just kind of illustrates that a clean parting is is really important. You know, here I am talking about firings and separations and Derek, you're probably just like confused because Mr. Derek never have ever lost a single employee, right? <laughs> so maybe I should be asking you, what are some things you have done to build morale and culture in your office to prevent these issues? Well, you know what, Steve, you're wrong. I think it's important to point out that you and I purchased very different practices. I was fortunate to have bought a practice from a dentist that had a lot of goodwill with the patients and with the staff. Your practice, the dentist did not have a lot of goodwill and it was a very different situation. My staff were really great team members. I was very fortunate to have to start off with a a really great team. And those three that I started with are, are all still there. But actually, so after I'd been there a couple months, we hired another assistant. And just a couple months ago, she, she left after working there for three years. She changed career paths. She was an excellent employee and it was tough to see her go. Anyway, I, I hired a, a replacement and things went pretty smoothly. For those of you that listened to Justin and I's uh, podcast a couple weeks ago about the hiring process. Um, you know, I took all those steps and got as many applicants as possible, and found felt like I had found a, a good fit, and things things went pretty smooth. But within a few weeks, I knew things weren't going to work. I had talked to her about some concerns that I had. I saw no improvement. So anyway, I I let her go last week, and we are now on the hunt again. It's a tough process. I mean, nobody nobody likes to go through it. But ultimately, so earlier I was sharing about some of those difficult conversations that I've had with patients. I have had very similar conversations with employees. So in, in a situation like like that, you know, when I'm so when I'm when I'm talking to the patient, I'm saying your behavior needs to change if you want to stay in our practice. You are more I would love to see you here, but I need to see some changes. So that conversation is very similar with employees. My, my wording goes something like this. Sally, I really appreciate what you do and what you contribute to our team. But if we are going to make things work, there are some things and some changes that I need to see from you. And then I proceed to list them out and we discuss them together and we create a plan for improvement. When I do this, I am laying the groundwork for moving forward. I basically told her that her job was in jeopardy without actually having to say the words, I might have to fire you. But when I do this and I can do it in, in a more of a caring way, but also let them know what I'm talking about, we come up with this plan. Now the ball is in their court. 
And like you said, it's important to let them know very clearly what your expectations are so that there aren't any misunderstandings moving forward. This might sound crazy. And I know you said earlier, you said you don't want to feel like you're a parent with your kids. Uh, so what I, what I say now might be uh, counter against that. But I use a lot of the same principles in parenting as I do in, in managing my employees. Obviously, it's a very different situation. But there are some things that I think kind of carry across on both sides. So for example, with my kids, I do my best to show my love to them. But that does not mean that there are not consequences for their actions. Sorry, I know I just used a double negative. But so I do my best to show love, but there are also consequences for their actions. For example, we have a rule that if you don't eat dinner, you don't get dessert. Simple rule. Well, you know, when my three-year-old daughter doesn't eat dinner and then the family has ice cream for dessert, that's tough. She turns to me, she looks up at me and says, Daddy, do I get ice cream? And it would be so easy to just say, okay, you, you can have ice cream this time, but next time you need to eat your dinner. Like you said, you get what you tolerate. And it's not that I don't want her to have ice cream and that it's that it's a huge deal, but it's that I love her enough that I want her to learn that there are consequences in life and we all make decisions and we have to be responsible for our decisions. So when she asks me that and she says, daddy, can I have ice cream? And I, I'm going to say, Desi, I'm, I'm sorry. I really wanted you to have ice cream, but you didn't eat your dinner and I'll pick her up and I'll hold her and tell her that I love her. But my goal is for my kids to learn that there are consequences, but for them to always know that I love them. So with my employees, I approach things in a similar way. That's great. Can you give me an example? I mean, are you like holding your employees and hugging them and telling them that you love them? Or how does this look in your office? Yeah, you know, that's a great point, Steve. Or maybe you do that in your office. (laughs) Yeah, I I tried that with a couple employees and it, it didn't go so well. So I've had to kind of adapt my strategy a little bit. No, I don't do that. But the feeling is the same. So I want to show my employees that I care about them and that I'm on their team. So my attitude is this. Look, I really want to make this work. This is what I'm currently seeing. And this is where we need to get to. So let's come up with a plan for how we can get there. What do you think? So I'm on their team. I ultimately, I want to see them improve and grow. I don't want to have to let them go and have to start over again. So it's in, it's in both of our best interests to make this work. But just like I was saying about my kids, I mean, there's consequences for our actions. So ultimately, if I ever fire an employee, it's not because of me. It's because of them. I've given them a choice and they ultimately made their decision with their actions. Now, I have had to have these types of conversations with every single employee. And they have all cried. They are not fun conversations. But I'm willing to have them because I know what I want in my life. I want my practice to support my lifestyle. I want a lifestyle practice. And that means that I'm only working three days a week so that that in turn means that my office has to be very efficient and productive during those three days that I'm there each week. And I cannot skip these conversations if I want this in my life. 
So it comes down to being intentional about the process. So ask, ask yourself, how bad do you want it? How bad do you want the life that you're, that you're looking for? Are you willing to have the difficult conversations in order to get what you want? Or will you avoid these conversations and just settle for an average practice, an average lifestyle? There's not one right way. The choice is yours. Again, extreme ownership. Own your decisions. This is your life. You have total control. Yes, we all have variables and different situations, but you have 100% control how you react and what actions you take. Amen to that, brother. You know, it's interesting the amount of effort and sacrifice that we go through eight, nine, 10 years of school, hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt, like, you know, a pretty stressful job, just the incredible things we go through to become dentists. And then we're not willing to take like one more baby step, have some hard decisions with employees. You know, it's really fascinating if you kind of like step back and look at everything you've done and the little things that are holding you back that you just can't quite do. So I think uh, that's a great spot to end there. Derek, thanks for that that thought. And thank you all for listening to us. You know, to sum up, bossing may not be our favorite job, but it is the leadership that's going to take our team and our practice to the next level. So step up to the plate and take responsibility for the culture of your team. If you need any help in building this, you know how to contact us and please don't hesitate to reach out. So with that, we will talk to you all next week. See ya.